Good morning. As Pastor Dave said, I am Pastor Tim with the Cottonwood Falls and Elmdale United Methodist Churches. Uh, excited to be here, excited to be able to share the message and just, uh, just enjoy time together as a, as a community of believers. When I was in school, back when, as Berkeley College, uh, I had a professor, he's still one of my favorite professors to this day, he told us that one of the greatest things that can happen is when a preacher or a teacher learns how to use story. We'll be able to use that story to, well, not only just evangelize, but to share and punctuate. So that not just a bunch of words being spoken, but you can use your imagination. You can picture the story. You can bring it into the message. You can enjoy it so much better that way. And I was about 19 years old, so I had no clue what he was talking about, naturally. So, years later, I still found that I still struggle with the idea of how do you use story? How do you use it to punctuate? How do you use it to accelerate? How do you use it to tell and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? And the more I've looked at, and as more I've read through the book of Matthew, it being a beautiful, beautiful book, of course we don't know the authorship or anything about Matthew other than it was to the early church, written to a mix of Gentile and uh, Jewish believers. But we know that the message, of, the message in the gospel is true. That the message is what God wants it to be. So today as we look at Matthew chapter 21, looking at verses 33 through 46, in that passage we look at the teachings of Jesus. Jesus, in this point in the book of Matthew, he is in Jerusalem. He is within a week of his crucifixion, from the, uh, if we follow the, uh, the storyline, the narrative, timeline. We see that this is one of his final teachings as he's heading into that passion. And the passion meaning the crucifixion. And he does what he always does most of the time, is teaching parables. He's become the great storyteller. He's gone away from teaching because the people at that time, they didn't care for his teaching. They, Because uh, you see the Sermon on the Mount in that time period, Jesus taught very plainly to the people. But the more they struggled with it, and the more they rejected his teachings and his miracles, the more Jesus taught in parables. Almost as if he's trying to draw the people in, trying to bring them in softly, trying to give them a chance to ask questions, a chance to see the gospel instead of just hearing it. A chance to experience that time of the gospel. In this passage, uh, Kathy Hastings is going to read it for, me, for us. This passage is one that's very unique and special. And it's a third one in the series of vineyard passages that Jesus preaches in. That he teaches through parable. So as we read this, picture that Jesus is, that these words are not ours. They're not, it belong to any church, but they belong to Jesus himself. These are Jesus' words spoken to you. So picture that Jesus is telling you this message. Home. Are you talking about me? <laughs> this 
listen to another parable. There is a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants, then beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched inn, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants, who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. He looked, they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to you in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're excited that you're here with us. We're excited to be able to read your words, to hear the message you have for us, to know that you care about us, that you love us. Heavenly Father, speak to us. Speak through us. Speak to your people. Heavenly Father, challenge us. Change us. Do not let us leave the same. Let us be your disciples. Let us be your people. In the holy name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So again, this is the third time that Jesus, within a few chapters, has talked of parables of vineyards. The first time he talks to this idea of a vineyard, he looks at, he looks at this idea of these workers being hired to come into the vineyard to work. Vineyard work being that of a little slower, and a set time when all the fruit's ripe. And that's the time when it's most important to have the workers but to have them year-round wouldn't work as well. So Jesus uses that to show this idea of the kingdom of heaven is like a man going out and hiring people to come work in his vineyard. And we see in that parable that Jesus uses the adaptation of different time periods of them coming into work. You have those who started at nine, seven, 6 or 7 in the morning all the way to those who started at 5 p.m. Going through a whole day's work versus those who worked just a little bit. He tells the first one, I'll give you a whole day's wage for your work, and they agree on it. And it comes time to, to pay them all the workers, and he starts with the last to come, the, the ones that only work for about an hour. 
And he gives them the same, day, same day's wage as the first group. The first group gets angry. But Jesus uses that to show and teach this concept that whether we become believers in the early life or with the end of our life, we still have the same reward. We still have the same gift from God. And then he tells the parable right before this parable about the vineyard. He gives this idea of a, man, a vineyard owner having two sons. He sends one to the vineyard to work. And he says, no, I will not go. But then goes in. And then he shows the parable, and then the second half of the parable, he dedicates this to the son that, is told, that when he is asked to go, he tells him, I will not go. Has a change of heart and then goes in. And then he uses that to really attack and probably beat the Pharisees with it, but he does. He kind of berates them a little bit and kind of insults them greatly by telling them, these religious leaders, that prostitutes and tax collectors, the people they viewed as the worst of sinners, they're going to experience heaven before you will. So really kind of insulting the religious leaders, offending the whole system, and immediately goes into this next parable. So Jesus has just taught through the parables on the vineyard. He's taught that whether, whether when we come to faith, we still have the same reward in Jesus Christ. And the, uh, it comes down to faithfulness. And he comes into this parable, and it's allegorical for the crucifixion. It's, if you notice, it's very similar in Matra, very similar in ideology to that of the crucifixion. He starts out with this idea of sending a group that the, the vineyard owner, he creates the vineyard. He doesn't inherit it. He doesn't go and find it or take it, but he creates it. He makes it. He builds, he cultivates the land. He, he puts the fence in. He puts everything in. Every part of this comes from the master's hand, from the creator's hand. He creates the vineyard in its entirety. Most of the time, the vineyard is symbolic of that of heaven, and Jesus directly references that. There's also some, a little bit of reference into that of the old Jerusalem as well. So as Jesus, is, as Jesus shows them this vineyard that's been prepared, it's been prepared for them so that they can see this image in their mind. For they know vineyards. They've been around them their whole lives. It's quite common in Jerusalem to have these vineyards, to have these grapes everywhere, and to, they know the work that's involved in it. So a better parable to teach. He tells them about how the vineyard owner, he steps in, and he leaves. He leaves for a great period of time. We don't know how long. Jesus doesn't really give us that information. But he's gone for a while, and he sends after the produce. And Jesus, isn't ha- Jesus shows the, uh, the owner of the vineyard, he's not happy with just part of the produce. He wants all of it. Which is symbolic of the kingdom of God. He wants all for the kingdom of God, not just a few. He wants all. He's not happy just with a few. So he asks for all of his produce, all of his people. He asks for that, that uh, salvation. And the, the vineyard owners, symbolic that of the religious leaders, as they themselves point out, they reject this idea. He sends the prophets, which that's the, the workers he references. Most believe that is referenced directly to that of, of the prophets. He sends a small group, and they, they beat one, they kill another, and they stone the third. He sends a bigger group, and he does the, they do the same thing there. This, these, three, this, these two groups of prophets that come in, there's a lot of question back and forth of where these groups in history would be. And the fact that he uses similar language to this, connecting that to John the Baptist, there's belief that he, he's even tying in the death of John the Baptist, as that right before, uh, earlier in the chapter, 
is also brought up as they are as the religious leaders. They're questioning where does Jesus get his authority? He tells them he gets his authority. He doesn't. He will not tell them unless they first answer, "Who did John come from? Was John of God or was he of man?" Knowing that they were, they'd have to uh, make a stance when they've already rejected John the Baptist and his teaching. So if they say he's from God, then they have already condemned themselves for killing a prophet or rejecting a prophet. And if they say from man, they fear the people. Ironically, that's the same wording that they also fear with Jesus. They fear that the people believe that Jesus is a prophet, so they can't seize him. They can't arrest him at this point because they fear that he's a prophet. The people recognize that he's of God, but the uh, religious leaders, those who know the law inside and out, they are the ones that reject. So Jesus shows these two groups of prophets that have come in. They've been mistreated. As we look through the history book, the book of the Bible, we look through all the history, we can learn that a lot of the prophets were not treated very nicely. A lot of them suffered, and a lot of them uh, died at the hands of the people as well. So we know that the prophets were not treated very well. And then he goes and shifts gears to the prophecy of the Messiah. That the Messiah will be the next one to come in this form of the Son. That he will come in and he will, in the hopeful of God, they will respect my Son. They will honor him because he is my Son. And of course, we see the symbolic nature where it switches to old Jerusalem a little bit. Where it shows the 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 imagery of them taking the son outside of the vineyard and killing him, being that of them taking Jesus outside of Jerusalem and crucifying him there at Golgotha. That imagery paralleling and teaching this moment. And then he, I love how Jesus then challenges the people. Instead of just going with that, he makes them decide what's, what would happen next. What would happen? What would happen in our legal system if we saw someone doing that? Would that be okay, or would they deal with it? And they agree that the, uh, he put those wretches to a wretched end. He, basically, they themselves are testifying that the punishment for that should be destruction, that they shouldn't be allowed to survive. And then, similar to that of King David, when David is confronted with this sin by Nathan the prophet, and, uh, and asks uh, David, why, if, if, basically the imagery, a uh, man has a great meal of sheep, and he has a visitor coming to him. He sees his neighbor's sheep and ki- takes it and sacrifices it and offers it as food. Uh, what should happen? And David's uh, offended by that. He thinks it's a horrible, horrible thing until Nathan says, you are that man. In the same way, Jesus used that same kind of imagery, that same kind of technique as he points it out, because he brings him up this idea of the, build- of the chief builder st- building stone. If you know what a cornerstone is, uh, I'll, I'll bore you anyways with it. The cornerstone, traditionally, is where the two walls meet in building of a foundation of a house. The, those, that cornerstone is where all the weight and support of the house is upon. If without the cornerstones, a house is going to suffer uh, greatly. Which, of course, if we remember back in the rest of, earlier in Matthew, where Jesus uses this imagery of the wise and foolish builder. The wise builder, get another parable, the wise builder builds his house upon the rock, and the foolish builder builds his house in the sand. When the problems of life, those things that, that are hard, and it's not if they come, but when they come, when the hard things in life come crashing on us, do we fall with a great, does our faith fall with a great crash like that of the sand? Or does it stand because we built our, our house upon the cornerstone, 
or as some translations read, my translation in particular, reads the chief cornerstone. There's not one of many, but one. There's only one cornerstone. There's one that holds up even the cornerstones, essentially. So Jesus uses this ideology, and then he interrupts himself also. And this, to me, is one of the key passages of this. It's the one that really speaks why he is doing this. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, producing the fruit of it. The idea of Jesus is not, Jesus telling us that God is not okay with just people, believe, uh, people expecting the kingdom of heaven because of who they are. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people of Israel and Judah, they believed that they were God's golden children, that they could do pretty much whatever, and God would always forgive them. God would always allow them to survive. Ironically, they didn't learn from the uh, exile through Assyria and the exile through Babylon. They didn't learn there that Jesus, uh, God is not happy with lip service. He's not happy with just them just being there, that he wants a relationship with them. He wants the connections. He wants to be with them. He wants to be like a father to them, not a stranger, not some distant figure that they think of once in a while on special holidays. That they want something, that God wants relationships. He wants it to be personal, not something that just happens. So he tells them here that God is going to pull this away from you. He's essentially reminding them of the, of the previous parable that God is going to take the kingdom of heaven away from you and give it to the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners. They are more in line for the kingdom of heaven than you are, and telling them that if you don't change and adapt and uh, overcome, that you are going to miss out on the kingdom of heaven. Which, of course, if you are a Pharisee or religious leader at this time, that would be very offensive, but it's at the same time very true. He's telling them that your, your ancestry is not going to save you. Just because you're a child of Abraham doesn't mean you're good to go. Just because you know the prophets, just because you knew John the Baptist, just because you knew Jesus doesn't get you home. It's the relationship with Jesus. It's the relationship through Jesus leading to salvation. That's why he tells, interrupts his passage of the cornerstone. Without the cornerstone, you have no faith. You have no foundation. Without that faith, you have no salvation. Without that salvation, you're lost. Your house is built upon the sand and ready to collapse. And he tells them this and builds this. And, of course, they're angry. But how does that compare to us? We don't typically worry about building and vineyards. And we, unfortunately, don't get to hear the words of Jesus spoken by Jesus himself. We don't get to experience all these different aspects of it. But we still have that same ideology. Where does our faith come from? Do we build our faith upon Jesus? Do we build our faith through the relationship with Jesus? Do we have a relationship? If we don't have a relationship, what better time than now to build that relationship, to start building fresh, to accept Jesus as our Savior? If, we, if we've accepted years ago when we're kind of a rocky place and we don't know where we stand, what better time than now to rededicate yourself to Jesus? What better time than now to give yourself back to say, okay, I'm ready to give back in. I'm ready to start again. And if you're an old pro at it and, you, and your life's perfect and you've never had to worry about it or you've gone through all the struggles with faith and you're thinking, okay, I, I'm good. I, I'm the best my faith's ever been. What better time than now to disciple others? What better, what better time than now to care and to train and teach others? 
what better time to continue to grow your faith? For we, as Jesus says, we go on to perfection. And what is, the, what is the purpose of all this? What is the value found in all the things that Jesus teaches? Well, Romans chapter 5. Paul tells us, that about, he uses uh, this whole section of the first part of, Ma- of Ro- sorry, Romans. He uses this whole section to teach us that essentially we are at war. Because of our sin, we are at war with God. Through salvation, through sanctification, we find that now we are at peace with God. We are no longer at war. So that is the benefit. That is the whole thing, to be at peace with God, to be able to be part of his family, to be part of his relationship, to be there with God himself, to be saved. So the challenge for all of us, where is your relationship? Are you happy with your relationship? Better yet, is God happy with your relationship? What better time than now to seek God? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for your holiness. Heavenly Father, call us your disciples. Disciple us, challenge us, and change us. Let us be changed for you. Let us be yours. In the name of the Lord Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Tim. Thank you. Having Tim in town, he has been a good brother for me, and we've enjoyed a lot of fellowship together. We're going to sing one more song here together, but I don't want to give anybody false hope. As Pastor Tim just reminded us, the first five chapters of Romans say we've got a sin problem that has to be dealt with. I was looking at his Matthew 21 passage, and as a preacher, you always look for things that either start with the same letter or they rhyme. And I looked at verses 41 and 42. Some of us are looking forward to a miserable death, where verse 42, others are looking to a marvelous future. I hope you have repented of your sins, that you have confessed Jesus as your Lord and exchanged a miserable death for a marvelous future. Let's stand together as we sing a song of of great testimony and celebration, I'll Fly Away. Mm -hmm.